0: I wanted to kind of let you guys know of something that's happening next Sunday Uh, We've been in a series called Living Room Leaders where we're talking about how to lead like Jesus And so I've kind of give a kind of a a foundation on this aspect of of this that whether you're in school um, Whether you're married, whether you're parenting, whether it's at your job we're, We're all in a position right now to lead and it's important for us to lead like Jesus. And so every every week we've been kind of pulling out different principles from Scripture in that. And next Sunday, I've got a really good friend of mine by the name of B. Haley. And B. Haley, you can give it up for B. Haley. Um, those of you, some of you already know him. He's, he's been a part of our church for, for years. When he's in town, he considers Victory Church his church. And he has a message that he travels along with Toby Mack and speaks. And it's a message that I think is important for us as a church, but it's definitely important for us in leading in our communities and in our culture today and it's a message of unity and so next Sunday he'll come he'll share that message me and him will share some moments on the stage together and I just think it's gonna be a powerful powerful moment so I'm telling you that to tell you this number one make sure to be here make sure to be here to be able to support him he will have some merchandise in the lobby he's got some really creative shirts and things that I think you'll really enjoy and want to get one of. but uh, come and support him but also tell somebody Invite somebody. Get somebody to be able to come here and be a part of hearing that message and being a part of, of the concept of unity moving forward. Amen? Amen. Uh, a couple quick things before we get into the word today. I, I just, my name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, I just wanted to be able to say welcome. We're, we're trying right now to do the best we can to get everybody connected as we get into kind of a fast-moving season of our life with holidays like Halloween and November, or November, Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> Um, and so there's a lot of ways to do that. You heard Zenobia talk about Growth Track. You can jump in Growth Track after service today. You can find a team to serve with. Um, there's small groups happening right now. It's not too late for you to join in a small group. And I will always be in the lobby after service to just connect with you. Uh, I'd love to be able to meet you if you're visiting with us. If you're new to Victory, you've only been coming for a little while, and just be able to say thank you so much for joining us and being a part of Victory Church. Amen. Amen. Hey, do me a favor. Are you ready for the Word? If you are, open up your Bibles to John chapter 13, John chapter 13. Um, As you're turning there, let me again just set a little bit more of the context of this series. And so the series Living Room Leaders is all about how you and I are to lead like Jesus, not just lead like Jesus, but live like Jesus in our culture today. And these messages are really important for all of us, no matter what season of life you're in. I know we have students in here who are, you know, starting high school, getting ready to end high school. We've got young people who are in that transition phase of graduated high school and trying to figure out college. We have uh, relationships that are looking into being married. We've got a couple. I did a wedding this past weekend for a couple of the church. Got a wedding coming up in a couple of weeks from a couple of the church. Uh, we've got married couples, long and new marriage. We've got new parents, wanting to be parents, soon to be parents, long time. You're tired of being a parent, <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, we're going to be a little bit real today, I guess. Um, but it doesn't really matter where, no matter where you are in your season of life, we need these messages on leadership, not only to lead the people that we're leading, but to live and lead like Jesus. And so last week I talked about uh, the infamous story of the woman caught in adultery, and we talked about the importance of not having grace without truth or truth without grace, but having grace and truth together and the importance of that. And today we're going to visit another similar kind of popular, normal story that people are very familiar with. Um, And it's the concept of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so John chapter 13, I'm going to start reading from verse 1. I'll read to about verse 7, and then we'll get into the message today. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Again, I told you last week, when it tells you Passover festival, it's giving you a context of timeline for Scripture, and we're getting close to Jesus' crucifixion says that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Um, that, that evening, the meal was in progress. That'll be important in a little bit. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. If you don't know, Jesus has 12 disciples, and one of those disciples have been tempted by the enemy, and he's going to actually betray Jesus over to his captives for him to be arrested and eventually crucified. It says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So again, this was all a part of Jesus' plan. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, which was more like a robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. I'm going to give you a lot more context on that in a little bit. Drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him, he comes to Simon Peter And Simon Peter says to him, Lord, are you you really going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning from the idea, the paradox of leadership. The paradox of leadership. Of leadership. Now, it's important for you to understand what that word paradox means. For you to really be able to grasp what I'm talking about, you got to first understand the definition of paradox. Paradox is something that seems to be a contradiction, but it's true. So when you first hear about it, you think that's a contradiction. But the more it plays out, the more you realize it's very accurate. For example, um, uh, listen. Here, here's some examples. To 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 make money, you got to spend money. Right? Like, that seems like a contradiction. Like, it doesn't make sense. How could I make money by spending money? It, it seems like a contradiction, but it, it's actually true. There's actually concepts where it's true. Here's one that you might be familiar with. Less is more. Y'all yeah. have heard that? Less is more, which again, when you just hear it in, in, in kind of a, a, a random situation, it can seem like a contradiction. How can less be more? How can more be less? But I think a lot of us could testify that there's accuracy in it. Here's one that you may be more familiar with if you, if you are a gym rat type person. Uh, rest day. Right? Like, that, that, you know, like, how is it possible that my muscles are going to get bigger or I'm going to be in better shape because I took a day off? It doesn't make sense. It seems like a contradiction, but in reality, it's true. I'm telling you this because it's very easy for you when you read Scripture to feel like you're reading a bunch of contradictions when you matter of fact the the gospel in itself is a paradox it seems like a contradiction but it's actually true let me give you an example you are righteous and you're a sinner yeah. right like I'm not perfect. I I sin every... How many of you sin this morning? I'm raising my hand because I did, so I'm just letting y'all know. How many of you think you're probably going to sin in the next 24 hours? You probably think that's going to happen, okay? I'm not promoting sin before y'all grab your Bibles and leave. I'm just trying to bring you to reality. However, how many of you are righteous in Christ, right? So it, it seems like a contradiction, but it's true. And there's also a paradox When it comes to the way that Jesus leads, there's a common misperception about leadership in regards to those who are not currently leading. And here's what they think. They think that leadership is all about the position of leadership, the perks of leadership, and the power of leadership when it comes to leading other people. You, you know this is true because you will see in our culture this, this concept or this attitude of climbing the ladder, right? Like we got to get to a place of leadership. It's this. It's the obsession of a title. All throughout, if you follow Jesus, Jesus is never concerned with titles because titles don't identify responsibility. It's how you move that then sets a title, So Jesus was never about titles because when we're about titles, what it's saying is that we just want the perks, the power, and the position of leadership. If I can just get to the top of the ladder, then I'll have to do less, but I'll get paid more, right? It's that kind of mindset. That's a common misperception of leadership. In fact, the most persistent barrier, the most consistent barrier in leading like Jesus is a heart-motivated by self-interest here's what I'm trying to say when it comes to you being here and leading like Jesus here the most common barrier in between us in today's culture and leading effectively like Jesus is a heart that is focused on self and here's why because Jesus's leadership style was one that was all about serving not being served now this absolutely turn the world upside down this is a counter cultural concept let's go back to what I was saying now pay attention if leadership is all about climbing the ladder if leadership is all about position perk and power then there is a point where what you're hoping is that the further I go in leadership the less I'll have to serve the higher I get into leadership the more people will serve me right it's the common misperception. While Jesus says my leadership style, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. I got to give you context of what's happened right before this dinner that happened where Jesus washed their feet. Right before this dinner happened, the disciples and Jesus are, uh, they're, they're, they're walking, they're, they're making progress, getting to where they're going for dinner and an argument starts between the disciples and the argument is this. Which one of us is greater. Which one of us is going to be the greatest disciple? In other words, which one of us is going to go higher up the ladder? That's the argument that's happening between the disciples on the way to their dinner. And here's why it's happening: because leadership in that day was all about hierarchy. It was all about that ladder concept. It was all about put a leader up top, surround him with CEOs and COOs and, and directors and things, and then the further you go down, the less you matter. So the disciples, and we can't get mad at them because we would have done the same thing. The disciples assumed that Jesus was coming to establish a hierarchy. And that at some point, he was going to appoint a CEO. And he was going to appoint a COO. And he was going to appoint directors. And what the disciples were saying is, hey, which one of us is going to be your CEO? Which one of us is going to be your executive? Which one of us is going to be your right hand man? They're arguing about it because they think that leadership is the same old cultural concept of leadership. They think the higher they get, the better they'll be. The higher they get, the less they'll have to work. The higher they get, the more it'll be about people serving them than it will be about them serving people. And at that moment, I think Jesus went, Oh my gosh. And he went, man they've missed it I've been doing this I've been I've been living this concept now for what was coming up on three and a half years and they've missed it and so I think Jesus used this moment in John chapter 13 to make sure that they would never miss it again he did what I would call a sermon illustration the the word servant and the words, or the word leader, is often seen as opposites. You're either a servant, or you're a leader. That's kind of how it's been. But in, what was it? 1970, an AT&T executive who was retired by the name of Robert Green, took this concept that Jesus had been teaching, took the concept that Jesus taught all throughout Scripture, but he actually coined a phrase for it. So when you Google this phrase, scripture-wise, it'll give you some of these scriptures, but you never actually see Jesus say it. He says it in different concepts, but Robert Greene kind of put it together, and he came up with this paradoxical term, servant leadership. And he threw that out there. And when you and I hear that originally, now again, because of our our knowledge of Jesus is a little different, but when we hear it originally, it's a paradox. It, It seems like it contradicts each other. How can you be a servant and a leader? Now, I'm going to take it to, I need y'all to kind of go with me for a moment to culture in this day, because we don't necessarily operate in realms where we have servants anymore. I don't know about you, I'm not in that tax bracket. You know what I mean? I don't have people making me dinner and opening my doors. Um, So that's the kind of an unfamiliar thing for us, but in that culture of that day, if you're a Downton Abbey fan, or doubt, is that downtown, Was that Downton Abbey? If you watch those shows, you understand the culture of having servants, right? And so again, to say servant and leader in the same term, seemed like a contradiction. Before Jesus, leadership was known as this place that was reserved for the head of the table. You know, daddy gets the big piece of chicken kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like like leadership, reserved for the head of the table. But when it comes to Jesus, head tables are optional for leaders. Because service, not status, is the goal of a Christ-like leader. Did you hear it? Service, not status. A Christ-like leader is not concerned with a title because he understands that a title doesn't mean anything if the heart and the action don't support the title. It's the heart and the action that then birth a title, whether you're ever given it or not. When you lead like Christ, you can be a leader and never be given the term leader at all. Am I right? So Jesus is sitting at this dinner and he gets up and he performs this action that I'm going to break down for you today. But he performs it in such a way that the disciples left out of that room that night and they understood servant leadership. They understood what it was like to serve like Christ, and it absolutely turned the world upside down. There's two things. There's there's many things, but there's two things that I want to pull out of these scriptures that I want you to write down. I want you to carve on your heart. I want you to remember and walk in moving forward when it comes to you leading your home, dads, moms. When it comes to leading your children, when it comes to leading your spouse, when it comes to leading at your job, when it comes to leading in your schools, when it comes to leading in any avenue or context, there are two things that we see Jesus do that we should walk out of this door today and operate in. And we should even do this in this church. Number one is this look to be last. What Jesus does is he sets up this model where he is not looking to be first. He is not walking in the room looking to be at the position of the front of the table. Everybody look at me, think about me, think I'm special, serve me. Jesus was all about looking to be last. He was so confident in who he was that he didn't need to be considered first because whether you considered him first or last, he was still the son of God. And when we understand who we are in Jesus, whether you consider me first or whether you consider me last, I am still righteous in Christ. I am still saved in Christ. I am still called in Christ. I am still purposed in Christ. So I don't need to be first to feel first. I can be last, but know who I am in Christ. Watch what happens, okay? Now, now, again, culture, let's kind of make this culturally relevant for a moment. Uh, in case you don't know, back in that day, people walked everywhere that they went. They would, you know, I don't, I don't know about camels and all I don't have those kind of details. But for the most part, when you're reading about Jesus' time, they're walking. And if you've ever seen the sandals and things that they would have worn back then, they weren't Air Force Ones, you know. They weren't walking around in some J's. Like it was kind of a platform for the bottom of their foot and these strings that were tied around. So if you've ever been walking in dirt or dust and you know how your shoes get really dirty, that's what their feet look like. So everywhere they went, they walked. And when they would show up to someone's house for dinner, their feet were incredibly dirty. Okay. Pause there for a second. The posture when you sit at the table to eat was not the posture you and I are familiar with. They didn't pull up a chair and sit at a table and eat that way. They actually reclined is what they call it in the Bible. But if I, I don't want to illustrate it because my pants are too tight to get back up. But... <laughs> But if I was laying on the stage, I would hold myself up with my left hand, and I would pick the food with my right hand. So it's kind of like an elbow thing where I lean on my elbow, my feet are straight on the ground, and I'm. it's very uncomfortable. I can't imagine that anybody would want to eat that way. You should try it tonight with your family. And it's just awkward as you're picking. But because people are sitting that way, wherever somebody's feet were was where somebody else's head was. So somebody's feet are like right here, which all of you, are anybody here just like feet or just gross you out? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, could you not? Could we just move? Um, so it was really important to, to wash your feet because if you're going to put your feet in my face, they better at least have some dial soap recently. You know what I mean? Like something needs to put some lotion, you know, check out them bunions, do something. Your feet are, are you know, flapping in my face. Um, but because it was so common, there, it was a very common cultural thing to have a servant at the door placed to wash your feet. Here's how common it was. When you walk into a restaurant to eat and you sit down and you're waiting for a waiter or a waitress and they don't come in a respectful time, you start doing this. What is going on? (laughs) Right? Because you are so familiar with having somebody to wait on you at a restaurant. It's culturally normal for you. It was so culturally normal for them, for their feet to be washed, that, watch, when they walked in and they sat down. When they walked in, they would have been like, where's the servant? My feet dirty. They're extra dirty. You know what I mean? Like, where's the... And then they sit down. But here's the key part in Scripture. It said that while the meal was in progress, which means we've gotten all the way past them just entering the room. They are bringing food to the table. Folks, feet Are flapping in other folks' face and nobody's washed them. So I'm telling you this to tell you this: every disciple in the room knew that somebody should be washing our feet. Every disciple knew I should get up and do it at least. Like who's but nobody wanted to say anything. Because whoever said, here's, a, here's a, a, a culture we have in victory. If you see a problem, fix it, right? Or at least come with an idea on how to fix it. Because just saying what the problem is and then walking away doesn't really get us anywhere. So why the disciples didn't say anything is because they knew that if I say, Hey, Sam, ain't nobody here to wash our feet. Now that means I got to wash them and I see washing feet as a low position. It's for the servants. And I'm looking to be first. I'm not looking to be last. Now, can you imagine the emotion they felt when Jesus stood up and decided that he was gonna wash their feet? The term leader is mentioned only six times in the the King James Version of the Bible. But the term servant is mentioned over 900 times. So when you're reading the original context, the original King James Version of the Bible, you are going to read the term leader six times. You're going to read the term servant over 900 times times. Here's what Jesus was teaching us. You and I have been trained to see a leadership pyramid, to see a diagram of a pyramid and the leaders at the top and then the CEO and the COO and the executive and the assistant. And it kind of makes its way down until it gets down here to the people that it served. What Jesus did is he took that leadership model and he flipped it upside down. And instead of the leader being at the top, the leader was at the bottom. And now, depending on what part of leadership, the the main leader, so in this church, me, I'm at the bottom. And then as the team goes up, it goes up, it goes up. And guess who's on top? You, right? Jesus says the people are on top. The people are what matter. The leaders should be on the bottom, and they should be serving and loving the people. This is what Jesus was introducing, and everybody was shocked. Because they had been taught by Pharisees and religious leaders that we are the leaders, you're the servants, you do what we say. And Jesus said, I did not come for you to serve me, I came to serve you. And he transformed leadership. Our culture treasures winning and fears losing. And so therefore what will happen is leaders will use their position for power. They will use their position to move themselves into what looks like winning because they fear losing. But servant leadership, leading like Jesus, is to love people more than you love the position. It's to love the people more than you love the title. It's to love the people more than you love the recognition. It's to love the people more than you love your pride. It's servant leadership. A friend of mine had the opportunity. He was working for a company in Florida, and they were brought in to a leadership meeting kind of deal with like a CEO of Walt Disney World, Disney World theme park. Y'all from here, my good, good friends just got back from Disney World. Uh, welcome back, yo. And so, um, they, they, so, so he, he brings them into this meeting, and he's given them leadership lessons From the concept of Disney and the first thing he tells them is, he says Disney's motto is we are in the happiness business not we're in the money business not we're in the profit business now if you've ever been they're making plenty of money you know what I mean (laughs) don't let's not pretend like Walt ain't ain't sitting on thousands or hundreds of thousands or I don't I don't know money beyond that sorry Um, (laughs) he's making a lot of money Um, but but their their culture is driven by the happiness So my friend is in this meeting, and the CEO steps up and tells this story, and some of you may have heard me tell this, but it's a powerful story. Uh, It was a regular day at Walt Disney World, and they were at the theme park where you have to travel on the monorail to get from your parking to the actual park. And so if you've never been, you have to get in one of those subways that hang in the air, and you kind of got to, you know, drive around from your parking. So in the middle of the day, the monorail gets stuck. It just something happens, the electronics, whatever the situation is, and it's stuck, and it's stuck for 10 minutes, and then 30 minutes. And then an hour, and it ends up being stuck for like over four hours. So, for over four hours, it was like somewhere between 75 to 80 people are in this monorail and they're just stuck. Now, let's just be real for a second. You got parents who have spent thousands of dollars stuck in there, not going. You got small children, right, who are ready to see Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse losing their minds. Like, can you imagine? That would have been the worst. That four hours would have felt like 40 years. You know what I mean? It would have been forever. And so the whole time, Disney's doing all they can to figure out how to fix it, how to get these people out of the monorail. And they end up finally arriving at the solution that they're going to attach something to it and physically pull the monorail back to the beginning place, get the people off, and then they'll just escort them somehow to the park so they start the process the process from beginning to end is going to be about 45 minutes so the CEO calls all of the executive team into the room and here's what he says he says in 45 minutes we're gonna have 80 paying customers get off that monorail and they are gonna be hot fire mad it's probably not the English he used but I'm using it in context of where we are right now and he said we've got to figure out what we can do to establish happiness back in their vacation. And so he opened up the room, and people started giving, you know, I don't know, maybe we could, like, give them an extra day at the park, or maybe we could give them a gift card for the, for the merchandise store, and they're just going on. And all of a sudden, the guy that was running this meeting speaks up, and he says, what if we give them anything they want? Yep. And everybody's like, time out. We can't afford that, which is funny, because clearly they could. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? That would be insane. And he says, what it though? He said, listen, he said, if, if we handle this wrong, we're going to have 80 people going home mad, and all they're going to do is talk bad about Disney. But if we handle it right, we're going to have the kind of self-promotion we could never pay for. And so he said, what's the worst they could ask for? Let's just try it. He said, you never know. People are going to ask for different things. So they said, here's the plan. When everybody gets off the monorail, 80 people, we're going to tell them, what can we do for you to make your vacation happy again. Whatever you want, we'll do it. By the time it was all said and done, it cost them just over $300,000 to give 80 people, kids and all, anything they wanted. And here's why. Because some people said, I don't need anything. Just the fact that you'd be willing to give me something is enough. Some people said, "Uh, I don't know, another free day at the park. Some people said, some people actually said, you need to reimburse my entire vacation. And they did. But could you imagine being able to turn a disaster? into something that was pretty, because all those 80 people went home and what did they do? You're never going to believe it. We were at Disney and this happened. Oh, I I hate Disney. No, no, no. They gave us anything we wanted. And now all of a sudden people are going, oh, Disney's is pretty cool. (laughs) And here's why. The whole driving of that leadership concept was that they were in the happiness business, not the money business. Christ-like leadership is in the people business. We're in the gospel business. So the idea is we will do whatever we have to do to empower them, to show them that they're loved, to give them value. By washing the disciples' feet, Jesus is showing them, the disciples, watch this, that by becoming a servant leader, it means to give up your right to think of yourself first. Can you imagine that? It, it, look, it's natural in us guys that when something happens, we think of ourselves first. Right? Like, well, how's that gonna impact me? I don't know. I, I have a, a seven-year-old and a 12-year-old, and I see it every day. They don't care about it. I had another incident yesterday. I'm just y'all are counseling me, okay? Just bear with me. Where I'm pouring my heart out to my 12-year-old daughter. And she looks at me and she's like, I don't care. And I was like, after I picked her up off the ground, I'm kidding, kidding. Uh, but, but I had to have a heart of heart with her because, again, you're, you're, just, you're worried about yourself. But Christ-like leadership is so confident in who we are that our concern is not ourselves. I'll be last if it empowers somebody else. Let me put it like this. Jesus never saw himself as the most important person in the room. Jesus never saw himself as the most important person in the room. What he saw was that the message, the gospel of God, was the most important thing in the room. Therefore, it made other people the most important person in the room. Jesus was clearly Jesus, the son of God. I think we'd all agree that if Jesus decided to visit Victory this Sunday and sit by my wife, he'd all of a sudden be the most important person in the room. I get it. But he never made it about him because it was about the gospel. And when it's about the gospel, other people become the most important person in the room. When it's about the opportunity for someone to possibly be saved, they now all of a sudden become the most important person in the room. It's not about, well, why do I have to do it? You mean, why do you get to do it? You get to do it because somebody might experience the gospel. I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. When when the original team, when we were gathering to get ready to move here and plant victory, we had an interest party dinner in Memphis where we invited about 75 people that we knew, and we provided them dinner, and And Pastor Ron Woods, who was Darling and I's pastor, he came in and... Uh, uh, you know, spoke in our building when we opened it up, he came, flew in, and spoke on behalf of us and really charged these people to give financially towards starting victory. And it was so cool. I've told the story before about how God blessed us with the building and the food for free. We didn't have to pay for any of it. And so the the, envir- the the party goes for hours. People are hanging out because some of these people we hadn't seen in years. And slowly but surely, everybody starts kind of leaving. And, it, and it's me and Darla and the rest of the team that moved here to Plant Victory. About I don't know, it's probably 15 of us at the time. And we were all in the room. And it's up to us now to do the cleaning because obviously we volunteered to do all the cleaning because everything was free. And Pastor Ron is still there, and he's got to get back to the airport and fly back home. And and everybody's cleaning. And all of a sudden I turn around and Pastor Ron is cleaning up the tables and he's taking the dishes into the kitchen and he's working just as hard as us. And I will never, ever forget that visual because he had every right to say, this is not what I'm here for. I came to do what you told me to do. I came, I spoke, I did my job. Now I'm gonna go in my car and wait while you guys do the dirty work. But yet here's this man who was my boss, my pastor, uh, certainly older than me, wiser than me, and yet he is doing the equivalent of washing feet as he's cleaning up tables because he understands that he's not the most important person in the room. The gospel was the most important thing in the room. And therefore whatever needed to be done got done. Could you imagine a church where people's mindset was this? The most important thing in the room is the person who hasn't heard the gospel. And therefore, I'll do whatever you need me to do for them to hear the gospel. You need the floors clean? I'll clean them. You need the toilet clean? I'll clean it. You need kids watched? I'll watch it. You need me to play a piano? I'll play it. Whatever you need. I don't need to be first. I'll be last. Because I'm not the most important person in the room. The gospel is, right? It's so important. It's a passion that I, I hope one day as, as, as Victory Church moves on to another leader, and I'm, I don't know, in a grave somewhere or something, I, I, I hope that the message that you could say about me was, man, he's the servant leader. Yeah, yeah. Like he understood above all else that the most important thing in the room was not him. It was the gospel. Right. It's the gospel. I, I've heard this uh, before, and I think it's important to put it in this sermon If if serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. If you want to lead but you can't serve, you're not ready to lead. Because real leadership, leadership that actually makes a difference, is servant leadership. And can I just say this since I'm on kind of a convicting role right now? Since I'm already on your toes, can I stay here with this? If Jesus looked to be last... How is it possible that we wouldn't? So the first thing we take from Jesus is looking to be last. Here's the second thing. We're going to add value to others. Not only am I going to look to be last, but I'm going to add value to others. I want to read you one of my favorite scriptures. It's in Philippians, and this is such a powerful verse if you will understand what it says in the context of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-7, watch this in your relationship with one another, do me a favor, look at the person beside you, look at them, look at them, look at them for a second, get a good look at them, now look at the person that didn't matter as much to the other side, look at them, get get a better look at them, All right. I just want you to understand, this, what I just made you do, is the one another, that's the one another, I'm, I'm trying to figure out now ways. We're getting to the point now where we got people who don't know each other because we're getting bigger and bigger. And so I'm at a point now I'm trying to find ways to make us smaller so we can stay connected. But what I'm about to say to you is the one another. You ready? It's the one another. Watch this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, Troy, what is Christ Jesus' mindset? I'm so glad you asked. Who? being in very nature God. In other words, he was God. You know the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. He's both God and the Son of God. He is God. Being in very nature God, what did he do? He did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Wow! Have you ever seen that before? That Jesus, who had every justification to use his power and who he was to be advantage over others, did not do it. Well, then what did he do? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus made himself nothing. Well, that's easy for Jesus to do because Jesus is Jesus. And so even though Jesus makes himself nothing, he's still Jesus. I'm not really sure where that came from. (laughs) Here's why I said it, though. Even when you make yourself nothing, you're still a son of God. You're still a daughter of God. So by making yourself nothing, it doesn't change your value. I think it raises it. I think it brings revelation to it because in order for me to make myself nothing, I have to understand that I'm something, right? So when I know who I am, when I know I'm a son of God, when I know I'm made righteous in Christ, when I know I'm purposed and blessed, when I know he's before me, behind me, beside me, all around me, right? When I know these things about God, then I can become nothing. Why? And not to be mean, but can I just be honest for a second? Because what you think doesn't really matter right like I can become nothing like Jesus so many people want to be great like Jesus I wonder if anybody will be nothing like Jesus I should write the sermon called like (laughs) nothing like Jesus according to Jesus the best place for a leader isn't always the top position It isn't the most prominent or the most powerful place. It's the place where he or she can serve the best and add the most value to people. Where can you add the most value to people? Let's go back to the moment where he's washing their feet. Can you imagine the hands that healed blind eyes? The very hands that took that sack lunch and multiplied it and fed thousands. The same hands that were soon to have nails driven through them on a cross for their sins. Could you imagine how they felt having those hands wash their feet? I, I, I don't know. One thing we're going to do is, is today at the end of the service, I'm going to wash all your feet. I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> Everybody's like, well, get your purse. Let's get out of here right now. Get your purse, honey. The, the point behind that terrible joke that didn't work, is how uncomfortable it is to have people wash our feet, right? Like, that's uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable maybe for, for if, if you were having me do it or a stranger do it or a friend do it or a spouse do it. Can you imagine having Jesus do it? That the same hands that are going to take nails are now washing your dirty feet? But it added value to them. You imagine the value? Servant leadership at its core at its core is about giving your power away, for the sake of others to add value to them everyone in here you have power as a spouse you have power as a boss you have power as a parent you have power as a student you have power as a friend you have power as a believer you have power there's different things about you that are what makes you kind of special and unique. Some people might call it your gift or your calling. That's your power. And when we surrender that power so that we can add value to other people, that's modeling Christ-like leadership. I was thinking about the very first time I ever saw servant leadership in person. I was... Uh, I was a new youth leader in our youth ministry. I was new to being like a leader in it. Um, you know, just, it was just a new concept for me. I was new to the Lord, and, but I had aged out of youth ministry, and now I was a youth leader. And we went to this thing called Summer Survivor. It was, a, it was a camp on the lake. You would tube and stuff, and then you'd come up and have a bonfire, and the youth pastor would do a message, and it was a, it was a, it was a really cool experience. And the youth pastor's name was Jason. We called him PJ, Pastor Jason and he had a right-hand man by the name of shane ivy and shane ivy was an electrician he was not on staff but he just served pastor jason with all passion he was the the absolute example of a servant leader everything pastor jason needed he did he would take off work early to be there he led worship he would speak for him if he needed to he would do anything and shane was one of the nicest most humble guys i had ever met in my life and we're at this event and the night comes, and we're doing this bonfire, and, you know, there's s'mores, and there's, you know, and all the kids. There's probably, I don't know, 100 youth. Like, it's this insane environment. And the, that time ends, and the night's over. So now the students got to go get ready for bed, and Pastor Jason and, and the leadership, including me, we're all going with them to make sure that they go to bed and don't do anything that Jesus wouldn't approve of. And so we're getting them in bed and all this kind of stuff. And as we were going, I was one of the last people to walk in, and I just happened to look back, and I saw Shane start picking up trash outside by the bonfire, and I saw it, but I didn't really think anything about it, like maybe he dropped his cup, you know, and I went in with Jason, and we finished, you know, took about an hour to get everybody ready and in bed, and, and what we thought, you know, at least was close enough to asleep. sleep, and then we're walking back into, and what I didn't know is that Jason is now taking us outside to clean up the trash, and we walk outside, and Jason opens the door, and he goes, hey, who, who cleaned up all the trash, Now, in that moment in my life, you have to understand, my hero was Pastor Jason Byers. I I was in love with Jesus. I wanted to do ministry. I wanted to preach. And he was the only model I had at the time. So for him to even say my name was, was awesome for me. And so he walks out and he goes, who picked up? I mean, it was spotless clean. We had been gone for over an hour. It was spotless clean. And he said, who cleaned up all the trash? And out of nowhere, here's what I heard. Troy. And immediately, I didn't clean up the trash. And I knew I didn't clean up the trash and so it caught me off guard and Jason looks at me he's like joy and I look back to see who said my name and it's Shane Ivy and he's just standing in the back and when I look at he just gives me a wink and I'm in that moment where I'm like what do I do I don't deserve it but I kind of like it you know what I mean and, and they started to kind of you know give me praises and stuff and I look back at him and he was like I'll never forget that because what that moment what Shane did is he surrendered his power for the sake of me to add value to me he could have easily said PJ I did it I'm the one that sat out here for an hour and picked up trash while nobody else did bring me your praises give me another crown Move me up closer and closer to being your right-hand man, right? Let me use my power for the sake of adding value to me. You know what's crazy? Is Jason Byers to this day has no idea that I didn't pick up that trash. But from that moment forward, do you know how many times I did something and gave somebody else the value for it? Because I had seen it done for me. This is the opportunity that we have as believers because outside to a non-believer this is foreign but as believers we have the opportunity to surrender our power to add value to somebody else when we help others we can see them as weak when we try to fix others we can see them as broken and both of those feelings make us superior but when we serve others We see them as valuable. I don't want to see people as broken. And I don't want to see people as weak. I want to see them as valuable. I want to become nothing in the way of Christ so that there can be value added to them. J. Carla Nortcutt said a quote about leadership I thought was pretty powerful. She said it like this, the goal of many leaders is to get people to think more highly of the leader but the goal of a great leader is to help people think more highly of themselves that's the kind of leadership we should be because that's the kind of leader Christ was his goal was never to make you think more highly of him it was always to make us think more highly of us told you at the beginning of the sermon that servant leadership is what eventually changed the world. And I want you to think about it like this. Christianity is still very popular. It's still life-changing. It's still all over the world. You're sitting here today because of what these disciples did in taking the gospel forward once Christ died and resurrected. But I want you to think about it like this. How could a first century Jewish cult which is what they were, following a crucified leader, which is what he was. They had no territory, they had no military, and they had no authority. And not only did they survive, but they thrived. Even to the point that they were embraced by the very empire that was trying to destroy them. How is that possible? How do they then go on to change the world and turn it upside down? It's two words, servant leadership. Nobody had ever seen it before. And so they went from a couple of wackos to changing the world. I watch people all the time get worried about where we're moving forward as a world and as a culture and I get it, man. It's a lot of things going crazy. But the same thing that changed the world over 2,000 years ago is the same thing that's going to change the world today. Servant leadership. People who love Christ and are willing to make themselves nothing to add value to other people. Because once you see it, it does something to you. And now you start acting like it. But, but I'm, I'm I'm writing all this down, and I'm like, oh, this is so good. I love it. I hope they're going to shout me down. I hope we're going to get up, walk out, and we're all going to be like a little marching servant leaders as we go out to Kroger and pizza. And, you know, we're just, can I? No, I don't tip you. You know, I mean, all this kind of stuff. Oh, no, that's wrong English. But anyway, you know, we're going to be all excited. And then all of a sudden it hit me. If you don't understand Jesus, you'll never understand servant leadership. Like, I can, I can encourage you, you know what I mean, and make you go like, yeah, but as soon as you get out to your car and someone cuts you off on 24, it's gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like death to servant leadership. But what's cool about it is you're no different than Peter. Watch this. Go back to John chapter 13. He comes to Simon Peter, and we all know Simon Peter's the one that's a little bit more like all of us, right? He's kind of like the, he shoots it like it is. Like, he tells it like it is, like, hey, bro, you're getting on my nerves. I might cut your here off. You know what I mean? It's that, that kind of stuff. You know, it's a kill shot, going to the side, Memphis style. And he comes to Simon Peter, and he says to him, Simon says, Lord, are you, time out. Are you? That, uh, Roxbury, me, you, you, me, me. Are, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And watch Peter's response. Peter said, nope. (laughs) Nope. Ain't no way. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. There's no way I'm going to let you, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, there's no way I'm going to let you wash your feet or wash my feet. And Jesus says, watch this, unless I wash you, Unless I do this, you'll have no part with me. Here's what Jesus is saying. Oh, this was so good. I about fell out my chair when the Lord told me this. Jesus said, hey, if you won't let me wash your feet, you'll never let me die for your sins. You got to get to this place where you understand grace. You got to get to this place where you understand what Jesus has done for you so that then you can walk out and be like Jesus. Jesus says, if you can't grasp this, then you can't grasp salvation. If you can't seem to wrap your mind around what I'm doing right here, you will not be able to wrap your mind around the gospel. Jesus was not washing their feet because their feet needed to be washed. Jesus was not washing their feet because there was nobody else to do it. If Jesus wanted somebody else to wash their feet, somebody else would have been there. Right? He made coins appear in the mouths of fish. He can make a servant be like a genie, like, here I am. You know, I'll wash your feet. He can figure it out. What Jesus was doing is he was foreshadowing what he was going to do on the cross. He was saying, I'm giving you a small taste of it now so that it doesn't overwhelm you soon. Because what I'm doing here is an example of what I'm going to do there. At the heart of this moment, at the heart of washing the disciples' feet, is the message of repentance and forgiveness and grace. Watch this. His humility expressed with a towel and a basin was a foreshadow to his humility and love on the cross when he gets up he takes off his robe and he puts on the towel it's foreshadowing him going up on the cross and taking off being the son of God and putting on our sins when he stoops down at their feet it's foreshadowing him stooping down as he gets on the cross as he washes their feet it's foreshadowing him washing away their sins and as he gets up he's foreshadowing and returns back to their savior it's foreshadowing his resurrection from the grave do me a favor everybody stand with me for a moment Ben, go ahead and come up here I need two things to happen here in a moment. Number one is this, I need you to be able to grasp what it means to be a servant leader. What it means for you to walk out of here and lead like Jesus and become nothing so that you can add value to other people and to look to be last and all these things that I've said. But before you can do that, I need you to fully grasp the salvation of Jesus Christ. I need you to understand that who he is and what he did. What he's done for you than triggering what you can do for other people. The greatest servant leadership moment he ever had was when he died for our sins. And I go back to that moment with shame, and hearing my name called, and knowing that I have done nothing to deserve what I'm getting, and that's the gospel. We've done nothing to deserve the salvation through Christ. But he gave it to us. And if we can't grasp it, we can't grasp salvation. We'll keep trying to work our way to heaven. No, 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 Jesus, don't wash my feet. I'll wash my own feet. You wash those sinners. I'll wash my own. Jesus says, no, I got to do this. I've got to do this because you can't do it for yourself. But if you'll receive it, then you'll be cleansed. Peter says, then wash my whole body. Wash me from, Peter was a little extreme. Wash me from head to toe. Get the ax body washed. Let's do this right here, right now, you know. Jesus says, no, no, we don't need to do all that. You've already been washed by grace. So here's my message for two people in here. Number one, for the unbeliever, the person who's never accepted Christ as your Savior. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior, and you'll be saved. And through that salvation, your sins, your sins yesterday, your sins today, and your sins that are soon to come, are forgiven by the grace of Jesus. It's not anything you do. It's not anything you've done. It's by the grace of God. I want to encourage you, if you're not saved, to give your life to Jesus this morning. Kyle Zoe, do y'all mind just coming down here for a second? Kyle and Zoe are going to be down front for prayer. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Come down. They can help you a little bit more, walk through it a little bit. If you need prayer for anything, come down and get prayer. But second is for the believers in the room. Can we walk out of here today leading like Jesus? Can we walk out of here today not being interested in being first, but trying to be last so that we can add value to other people? Can we mimic the grace and the love of Jesus? Can we serve others? Not so that we can be better, but so that they feel better about who they are and that the door might be opened to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you right now for today. I thank you for your word. As Zenobia said, I thank you for worship today. I thank you for your atmosphere that you provide and your word that's still living. I thank you for the team that allows us to put on a service. I thank you for the people whose hearts you've brought in. And I thank you for the challenging, convicting word that you've given us. I pray for every person in this room. I start right now for those that have never been saved never given their heart to you, that, Father, you will draw them in. Your word says that when we lift you up, you draw all men. There's nothing we can do to change a life, but, Father, you can, and it starts with salvation in Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would move on their hearts today. For every believer, that you would challenge us to walk out of here today serving like you, looking for opportunities to serve through servant leadership. For every person here that just has a need, Father, I pray they'd find it in this prayer time today, in this worship set. Father, as we worship you, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.